1: From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken Napsok for another edition of the show that goes deep inside and sometimes just slides around on the beautiful surface of the world of ice and fire. And you guys uh, are always... You know, burdened with just my voice uh, A lot of these shows But, you know, with the current situation going around Where a lot of us are locked up, locked away And in our houses I think it actually, oddly enough, is going to be easier To get some of your regulars on here Like your Andres, Cabr- Andres Cabrera, your Rachel Cushing, your Lon Harris And one of our favorite contributors to the show Sir Thomas Sattal, Thomas Risling is here Welcome, Thomas, how are you? Hey Ken, I'm I'm phenomenal, man. Given everything going on
0: in the world, I'm I'm happy, I'm healthy. I, I can't ask for anything more. How are
1: you? I am good, man, and that's all we can do. Yes, it's a dark, scary, confusing time. A real world shivers has uh, hit our land, but uh, we still got to uh, just keep our sanity and talk about these. Sometimes silly, but serious things that we love. And Game of Thrones, World of Ice and Fire is definitely it. Thomas, it's been a while since we talked directly. Your ruminations uh, from the Realm segments uh, do pop up. And uh, I know you've been, uh, been a lot of uphe- upheaval in your life uh, recently, moved castles. Uh, you know, you found yourself, uh, you know, busy. So we appreciate you being
2: here.
0: I did. Hey, I'm always appreciative to be back. Like I said, it's it's nice to have a platform to talk about this series on, and, you know, given the way things ended, it's nice to be positive about it again. We seem to kind of be in that midst of things there's some positivity brewing around song of Ice and fire again
1: i love that idea i do want to start there uh with some positivity and looking forward house of the dragon we know it's coming now 22 uh, 2022 so long away and we don't even know when in 2022 and and now who knows with productions being delayed all around maybe there could be some delays of that let's not hope uh, let's hope not not but uh looking ahead to house of the dragon uh, we've talked about it before but where's your your heart at it with right now so
0: my heart with House of the Dragon is is firmly planted in the I have no expectations camp. Uh, for for a long time, you've heard me kind of say I'm worried about Dance of the Dragons specifically yeah. if they go that route. Uh, Blacks and the Greens is something I'm less familiar with, but I'm becoming more familiar with. Mm. Um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic, but I would say the the caution is very minimal. I I have lots of trust in the the team of people behind it. Um, and I, I really hope that we get some sort of anthology. That's ultimately where I'm sitting right now.
1: Yeah, we. St- I still love that idea. Whether or not they they just run through a certain section because uh, the Fire and Blood book, and I was I was poking through it a little bit more when I was doing the episode, just kind of by myself. Uh, a chapter about the shivers in, in fifty nine sixty AC, roughly. Um, yeah, I just and I just was immediately pulled back into the book over the little details. Uh, this history book uh, of this world we love. So yeah, I, I don't know if they'll do the anthology, but I would. I think it's. I, I maybe you're like me, Thomas. It's just kind of this um i don't know greed because i want it all <laughs> that's exactly how i feel and i don't want to be greedy so i'm trying to just do that okay
0: i'll be happy with whatever they give me because any story from this world is going to satiate that
1: kind of lust for more song of ice and fire that yeah. i have i think you just tell the story from the point of view of mushroom the uh, <laughs> the, uh the the Jape the clown and he just tells the tale of, every, of different parts of the story
0: that works for me, and and immediately people are going to be like, oh yes, this is another Tyrion, and very quickly they're going to realize that is not
1: the case, oh. like Mushroom could not be further from Tyrion. Yeah, and for, for those who haven't read the book yet, yes, there is a character named Mushroom, because George R. Yes. R. Martin loves that kind of stuff. Well, we'll see, and no information yet, and I wouldn't expect anything um, big, but wh- how— how excited specifically? And again, I, I like—I actually like and agree with your cautious optimism for the series, um, second series, spinoff series, all those kind of things. Can cannot go well. Uh, I'm not a huge Walking Dead fan, uh, regardless. So it's not a swipe at that at anything they've done. But like, I know what the second the secondary show, Fear the Walking Dead, uh, big hype, but then kind of wasn't received as well. That happened. So that, is that kind of where your cautious optimism is coming from?
0: Yeah, very much. So I'm I'm personally not a Walking Dead fan, but one of my best friends is is very much he he is to Walking Dead what I am to to Game of Thrones, just obsessed. Mm. And he explained it to me as fear the walking dead feels like the minor leagues of the walking dead.
1: Oh yeah, and, that's yeah. Know? And no and that's nothing against yeah. the performers or the writers, anything. It, you just kind of can't help but feel that. Yeah, very much so. I
0: mean, Garrett Dillahunt is on that show, and he's one of my favorite kind of bad guy actors that pops up every now and again.
1: I think of him from Deadwood, but it's right. another HBO show, so. Oh, yeah, Deadwood. Deadwood. You know what's funny? You made me th- I still haven't watched the Deadwood movie. What's wrong with me? Never mind. <laughs> and I love that show. Um, yeah, oh, God, we got to try that. Uh, so uh, looking ahead, let, let uh, we, we look ahead to House of the Dragon Um and one final note about this here, Miguel Sapochnik uh, kind of being in charge of it uh, or part of the team in charge of it and having a little bit more say, I love that. I, I love David, uh, Dan and David. I, I love what they've done. Um, warts mistakes and all, but you could definitely tell in some of the interviews with Sapochnik, that long form podcast one where some great stuff about the long night and everything. I think he's very grateful. He's very thankful, uh, Thomas, but there's some, tr- if you're reading between the lines and you want to stir up some drama, which I don't like to do, Seems like he might do, or be excited that he's on his own in the world of Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's the sense I get from
0: reading what you know, what little talking he has done about it, and and of all the people to give some free reign in that world, Miguel Sapochnik is a phenomenal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, everything we've seen from him so far in the eight eight. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Eight seasons. I almost said eight episodes. Well, wow. <laughs> eight seasons that we got of Game of Thrones were some of the best episodes of the series as a whole. Mm. So that's a lot of where my optimism comes in is around Miguel
1: Sapochnik being a huge part of the creative force behind this. Uh, same here. Same here. So the House of the Dragon. We'll see when it finally shows up. We wanted to really look back today at a character we bring up often. He... Creates a lot of conversations, a lot of great what-ifs. Our fans, our listeners here, supporters have been calling in with some of these great what-ifs. But we also just want to take a moment to look back at this character uh, who had such an impact on the show and the story, but left us really early. Uh, Thomas, today we're going to talk a lot about Ned Stark. Good old Eddard. What's your overall thoughts on Ned? The honorable to a fault um re-watching
0: now, we're about three episodes in, and it's just almost hard to watch when you know what's coming mm-hmm. because he's so honest that he just walks himself into his own demise. And and if you really want to be hard on the guy, you could even say his family's to some extent as well. To- oh, so I love
1: But Totally. Yeah. No, yeah, and and Ned is still, I think, a a, a great character that the people love, and uh, that's why his 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 influence, his legacy is felt on the story and not just the production and what we love as fans, but just in the story with, with Sansa and Arya still talking about him. Jon Snow still talking about him to the, to the very end, pretty much. Um, yeah, and quoting, and right, quoting
0: you know, everything after the word, but that's how many times is that said throughout the running of the series? And that's a direct callback to Benjen talking
1: about Ned. It absolutely is. Um, we have had some great what ifs about what Ned Stark lately on the show but often uh because of recording recording schedules i'm here by myself answering them and i my uh knowledge my love of game of thrones knows no bounds but my my lo- my knowledge of it does have bounds and boundaries uh, you know i love getting other people's thoughts and opinions and thomas you you have one of the deeper minds about this show and this story and this, these books so i want to talk to you about ned stark and one of the big what ifs we asked recently was um, was asked uh Uh, I do believe it was our friend, Eric, uh, but uh, could be others. So I want to give credit where credit's due, but uh, I forgot because I'm old. Um, Ned, uh, what if Ned Stark had listened to Baelish? And there's few things in there about listening to Baelish. But let's maybe dive in, Thomas, to the Ned Stark-Baelish relationship in season one. What are your thoughts on some of these what-if questions? Yeah, so the first thing that pops into my mind
0: is the initial, you know, there's always tension between Baylish and and Ned, but we really see it come to a head when Cat arrives in King's Landing and we get that scene play out of of Ned choking Baylish and Baylish says, you know, "Ah the Starks, uh what does he say? Something what is it? Something about um uh, yeah. quick to the sword and and slow of wits or something along yes. those lines." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is the definition of Ned in this story for me and I look back you know if you want to listen to Baelish there's multiple ways that could be taken you know are you listening to Baelish in leaving the city or staying around you know are you listening to Baelish in the sense of supporting Renly mm. because if you're if you're saying that I mean I I stand in the camp of if Ned had supported Renly not much would have changed I, I, like I firmly mm. believe that I mean Stannis mm. probably still would have gone seeking what was
1: rightfully his even if Ned supported Renly the throne was still rightfully Stannis's Yeah, damn straight it was um, but no yeah. I think I actually think that's a great point um, if he throws his support behind Renly Renly yeah, yes Renly has has the armies he has the power but he, then he had left he had left the city even by the time I think Baelish and Ned are talking right it, 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 he still has to go attack there's still a war there's still problems and yes Stannis would still be like hold on I got something to say here Yep. It's
0: changing one minor fold in a, in a very large situation that, although having the support of the Warden of the North would be great for Renly's cause, it still wouldn't have changed who the rightful
1: heir to the throne was. Yeah. what is uh, What should have been Stannis? Oh, that's a different conversation. Baelish and Ned obviously have the tension, the tension based around uh, the, the Tully uh, women and, and Catelyn Stark and, and Ned's brother, all those kind of things. I, I get that. But Baelish, one of the things we love about him is this... Chaos is a ladder theory, and that means to me that he he might occasionally fall a step behind. He's going to scramble to get two steps ahead and move things around, or he's already five steps ahead, and and he'll advance. That kind of gets him in the end. We know that. Whether you love the story or not, uh, that's how it goes in the show. But going back to season one, uh, Thomas, what do you think about Baelish's story? How, how much let me ask how much would he have taken Ned's help if Ned did offer it if Ned does agree does, is he there to destroy Ned or just to create the chaos around Ned what's what do you think about Baelish's moves
0: I've seen Baelish's story as as a start to finish in it for himself and in it mm-hmm. for himself alone um I thoroughly believe his cause was always to manipulate Ned and regardless of Ned's decisions would have remained that unless Ned's decisions furthered Baelish's own which, right you know as we've seen through the the course of things baelish baelish's kind of uh, aspirations change very quickly and he moves very quickly the throne is always number 1 in his mind but what he does to get there is constantly shifting and very easily ned would have gotten swallowed up in that
1: as he already did in the story we have now absolutely did and i i there's a there's a scenario in my head that let's just say ned goes all right all right baelish um i'll I'll throw my support behind renly and maybe things turn around do you I could see a possible where, where a, a possibility existing of of Baelish siding with Ned and taking Cersei into custody and 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 Baelish still trying to create the chaos around it and make his way to the throne. I don't know. Did you know you put Sansa on there? I don't know. I don't know that, but um, you know what I mean. Like I think Baelish would have gone with the stronger opportunity.
0: I agree, and I think that actually that's that's very viable. You know, for him to have moved that plan to Cersei. I guess the only difference being that the Lannister army is a little quicker to arms mm-hmm. over their blood. That's you know, true. If Cersei was kidnapped, I imagine the the army would have been raised far sooner than they were.
1: Yeah, the, that's a good. Yeah, Lannisters do love to fight, right? I mean,
0: yeah. they love to fight for their own.
1: So <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. Um, yeah, it, it is one of the more fascinating relationships. But what are some of the other memories you have of Ned? You you said you uh, you're starting your rewatch. Um, I keep every I every week and go. This is the week I started. And then just it's life's all over the place. So I haven't got a chance to. But um, look, looking back, it I always every time I do go back and watch season one, there's just there's just a warmth in that season um, because it's the characters you fell in love with, uh, whether it was book first, show first. Those are the first characters you're introduced in this world. So it makes some sense or some warmth. But every time I go back, man, I just I just love seeing Ned. What are some of your favorite Ned scenes, memories, lessons, uh, Ned Stark and you? How does it how does it work?
0: Overall, the biggest thing that stands out for Ned, you know, three episodes into this rewatch is just how conflicted and haunted he is by the past that we now know. Uh, When you go back and watch specifically in the the very foreboding scene with the uh, stag antler broken off and the direwolf Mm -hmm. and the pups, uh, that scene is very written for you to understand how foreboding it is in the book. Mm -hmm. But in the show, it's left much more to your own um, deciphering of symbolism, really, you know, if you're a mm. new watcher to that show, that scene could blow right past you without noticing anything you don't see oh, yeah. it until your second rewatch. Um, for me, I see how damaged he is. How a man who lost his sister, um, mm. has spent his life creating and living a lie for one child to live a life, mm. um, that he otherwise wouldn't have had. I mean, he knows his best friend would have killed that child, and and I see that in his face, in Sean Bean's face, in almost every scene in the the first few episodes with the exception of when he sits down with Aria when
1: mm-hmm. she pulls out. That's a great observation, Thomas this is why I love uh, chatting uh, with all of uh, our contributors here. And, and, and a lot of the insights you bring that's so true because number one yeah you do miss it that that stag uh the uh, i'm just like puppies that's when i first watched the episode you know (laughs) like i'm like oh they got puppies but i I talked about a little bit on show recently where you know with the beheading of of will um and uh you know Roderick cassell and i there are some glances between specifically Roderick and ned where i'm now convinced like ned's just like the receipts coming the receipts coming for everything we've done everything i've done the wind cold winds are rising i it i think he knows almost everything in those moments
0: absolutely i agree you know winter is coming means many things in the worlds of the starks and the the first couple times he says it i don't think it has the meaning that we've all come to kind of know and associate
1: with the phrase and because the story as it rolls out and we learn a lot of other things the way it's it's just presented so well early on book one and in season one we talk often about Robert Baratheon, a complicated character, so well-performed by Mark Addy. So you can't help but love the guy. He's friends with Ned. We are trained just in the way we take in stories. Ned's a good guy. He's on the posters. So if Ned likes you, we like you. Um, but you describe this haunted look. He's so right. The, the, you're so right because the when when even when Robert's in the crypts talking about Leanna and, oh, she does that better Ned. And Ned's behind him just kind of like, you... <sighs> You did so wrong. You did us. You did us all so wrong, Robert.
0: Well, in his mind, he probably plays out what if he didn't. You know, we we talk about the what ifs, and and you know, what if Ned standing there is thinking, you know, what if I hadn't done this, thinking my friend who I haven't seen in nine years is now, you know, lamenting the loss of my sister who died in a way he's not privy to. Um, there's there's a big what if probably running through that character's head as he stands there. What if I didn't? Did I do the right thing? This man surely would have you know, bludgeoned that child to death or whatever the case, or if Lyanna had lived, maybe she would have even suffered that fate.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where does, oh gosh, if it's, you know, yeah, you're right. God forbid. I want to try to love Robert to the bitter end, but he's done some bad things, man. And if he, yeah, if, if Lyanna's rescued, she's rescued, she's pulled back. She's pulled back to, to um, you know, a new King's landing where we're, where Robert's on the throne and Lyanna is like, well, she has a child whose child. Oh, a Targaryen's. (laughs) Yeah, I don't I think Ned Ned started having had to had to protect things from protect people he loves from Robert Baratheon then as he's taken the yeah. throne. So that's all yeah. in all in Sean Bean's face.
0: Yeah. He's he's a phenomenal actor and you know you see shades of that same kind of longing in Boromir, right? Yeah. From in Lord of the Rings and it's so nice to see Sean Bean carry that through, you know, a decade later into a character that's so different mm-hmm. um and so regal. And so
1: oh uh yeah honorable to a fault it really is the first thing that comes to mind when i think of ned honorable to a f- fault and and wh- how that plays out and we know that hurts them and i and i still talk often about the sins of the starks and a lot of it comes from that and and, yeah. and mistakes they make but all for a good causes and there's still mistakes catelyn makes a ton of mistakes I, i'm not as harsh on her anymore as a as i was in the early uh stages i think it was probably irresponsibly just to throw out accusations against Catelyn Stark and doing everything for the good of her family. And, but she made some mistakes along the way. So does Rob. So does all of them. Um, but I, I, you're making me think a lot about those early moments, uh, Ned and, and, and Robert on the King's Road talking, uh, all the conversations. And I sometimes wonder if Ned's just thinking, you know, what did we do? What did we do? And if some of that fuels his stubbornness later on, where he's like, I've got to correct a lot of these wrongs. Uh, I, I, I have to wonder. Yeah, you...
0: And I, I think part of that too is, is Ned wondering what if, you know, again, that what if question, what if I had been there? What if nine years ago I had gone and served as Hand of the King instead? What if we had made that happen? You know, we all know Jamie made his way in and that's fine, but yeah. what if Ned had gone? Ned, Ned would have been that choice. And i I have a hard time believing the Seven Kingdoms would have fallen that far in nine years with Ned and King's Landing.
1: Yeah, there's that. There's a great moment when he arrives and he's kind of just you know, do you want change to change for your meeting? No, will, no. I, I'm just going to go to the small council now, and everyone's there. But he, he really quickly learns his his buddy ain't a good boss. He ain't a good king. Yeah. It's a mess. And you're right. You have to wonder if like, Oh man, what does this become again? What did, what have we, what did we do with the rebellion? What, uh, you know, some what 19, 20 years ago, whatever it is in the, in the show versus the, show, the book. Uh, what did yeah. we do? How do we let it go this far? And, and man, I should have maybe stayed up North or should have come down sooner.
0: Well, and I think part of why in the show, I I'm able to think of Ned in this way and kind of, think hypothetically of Ned in this way um is that he's that much older I mean in in the books I, I, I could be wrong but I think the number in my head is 35 I think Ned's 35 yes uh yeah. and that's a lot younger than the Ned we see in the show I mean yeah for for me I would say Ned is probably around 50 years old in the show mm-hmm. um I don't know if there's been a number put on that but I mean that a little bit of extra years some more wisdom there I, I see a, a more regal, older man looking back on his past, whereas a thirty-five-year-old man, I see a, a younger man who's just growing past
1: those things, looking back on it.
0: Yeah, so in look, the show, I find it easier to think of it of
1: at this way. Yeah, I've I've always agreed with the upping of the ages in the show. Uh, some of them for obvious. Um, reasons related to activities of the characters. Um, George, what did you write? But um, for, it works a lot better for Ned and some of the characters, even Catelyn Stark. Just having, well, yeah, 35 is, is young. You know, 35, you're, you're starting to discover yourself. So it's a different kind of feeling. Though, again, I get it, It's harsher times based off medieval times. And, you know, our, our 50 now is a lot different than 50 uh, even... 50 years ago we know this um but yeah it's just some of my favorite stuff with ned in, in closing about ned when we get to some phone calls uh here uh, we're gonna actually re- replay a phone call from last week um uh, ned and uh, specifically the legacy on john snow Sanson Arya uh his his kind of surviving children and yes quotations around children for John, but it counts in a way if Theon can look as at at Ned as his father uh, I think John can still uh, look at at Ned in the same way um what are your thoughts on uh how the legacy stretches into season eight moments lessons mistakes failure's a great teacher do they learn stuff from Ned um how do you how do you uh, how do you like his influence in season eight
0: uh, I think we get it right up until the last scene. Uh, we know Ned suffered in silence for a long, long time um, right. damaging him as a, as a person. Again, we see him in the first season. He's he's a damaged man lost in his own thoughts. Um, I see that in John. You see that in season eight, you see a man who's been through so much. What if I had done this differently? What if I hadn't lost Ygritte? What if I hadn't killed Danny, but he suffers in silence and goes away all the same. Yeah. He retreats back to the North with what he knows close to his heart and that's probably the only person or thing that's ever going to know everything else will just stay the way it was nobody will know the inner workings yeah. and that is very Ned to me that is keeping those details to himself to protect everybody he loves that works for me
1: yeah oh yeah it definitely tracks with John there's something there I think uh Ned we know Ned might have wanted just to stay up north but like the idea of John wandering uh, north of the wall and just kind of going uh, I did my part, <laughs> I could go live my life. Yeah. I could see Ned, Ned kind of did that anyways, but, uh, he had the mission to protect John, um, all, all through his childhood, but, um, yeah, I could see Ned connecting with that. Um, the Sansa stuff. I, I think Sansa, I think it's great that Sansa ends up becoming, I think the ruler Ned would have been most proud of. Yes, I agree. Completely. I agree. A lot of the lessons learned she was, uh, sur- survived it. it the growth of Sansa going from the annoying girl doing needlepoint uh, and pissing a lot of us off because she was so you know uh, f- f- first class while while the rest of the characters were in steerage. Um, uh, that that plays out so well. Her her story one to eight is is one of the more powerful ones, and and the way it just kind of you know obviously a lot of her mother in her. Let's not let's not take that away from Catelyn Stark, but. Uh, Ned was in a position of leadership for for Sansa to ascend to that and and to be the the queen who rose versus the the king who knelt up north is it just works for me that it comes comes from her and and Ned's legacy is felt in those moments. Any thoughts on Absol- Sansa?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, there's another scene here in in episode three of the first season where when Ned is talking to Arya about Sansa and why she lied about micah right um and, and ned says you know she was thrust in front of the king and queen and asked to lie what are you gonna do right we right. forget that as viewers it's that was sansa's life for four seasons almost right and we 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 very quickly want to be like oh she's so annoying she's so intolerable and you know for some of the little girl things sure but she's really no different than you know Maybe fifty percent of the little girls you meet, right? Yeah. People, people learn, and as they grow, they change. And I think we see that in Sansa, and she becomes, as you said, the leader Ned would have liked to see any of his sons become. And I think it's, you know, given that it's, you know, very much a men's a man's world in Westeros, yeah. it's it's also nice to see that.
1: I think it's oh, just yeah. a, a nice change. Well, Sansa, of all the characters, when you really stop and think about it, about it, she experiences almost every part of the story. She, she goes and touches almost every character. She doesn't go to Essos, we know that. Um, she's not training with the House of Black and White, but she's dealing with Arya on it. But Ramsey, Baelish, Danny, John, Ned, Catelyn, uh, Joffrey, she, Tyrion, she touches all the stories and therefore kind of, to me, learns from all those stories unlike any other character on the show. She's truly an all star game of lessons all into one great leader.
0: And we're. Didn't learn where Tyrion watched these lessons and maybe became vindictive or bitter mm-hmm. towards them. He he learned a different way. Sansa learned how to play the game right. and how to see herself while doing it, and I think that's the most impressive
1: thing about Sansa, and that's very Ned. Absolutely, I, again, I think Ned would have been like, "I was wrong, I was wrong." And 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 the scene with with Arya and and, and um Arya and Sansa talking about uh, quite a, bluntly about Ned's mistakes. I don't I don't fault Ned for trying to protect his kids and specifically his daughters in this world from even harsh language it would seem um i don't fault him at all but the fact that um he was too again too honorable for his own good that he should have better prepared them i I love that scene where they kind of threw a loving arrow at him
0: yeah and we as you know as people we all you know the the student outgrows the teacher i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's the goal of the teacher right so if if People are able to look back on the mistakes, of the people that came before. That's how you learn about where not to go in the future. And again, that's a very bad lesson, you know, learn from the things you do wrong and do not do them again.
1: Absolutely. Ned Stark felt all the way to season eight, even with, with, with Arya uh, and and the path Arya becomes. And, and I think Ned, Ned signing her up for dancing lessons was this great blessing uh, and, and realization of the path that was in front of her. he, he there's no way he could have known the specifics. No, no way he could have known what's going to come. But um, uh, I think that's why there was that, that moment. I think uh, that's why it's a powerful moment for her to be on uh, Baylor's uh, statue, watching it uh, uh, before Yorn takes her. Yeah. I, I think it's Ned gave her the blessing for that life when he signed her up for those dancing lessons, I think.
0: Yeah and when she asked you know she told him I don't want to be a lady mm. right and he kind of he kind of laughed at that and we see that scene and and he he chuckles at it but he also recognizes it yeah and i think like you said him him getting her into those dancing lessons that's the water dancing changed her and he knew that if if he just gave her that little push it would probably lead her to where she wanted to go
1: yeah yeah exactly so hey we talk about the sins of the starks we talk about Ned being honorable and stubborn to a fault got himself into a lot of trouble and this conversation started with hey should he've listened to baelish and and maybe he should have maybe he i don't you know i think cersei in her heart was fine sending him up to the wall to take the black whether and he i think would have followed the rules and stayed but I, I that's another great what if of of ned north of the wall i would have somehow loved to see it um you know would would you have would you have taken the ned at the wall yes absolutely that i'm i'm grinning ear to ear over here
0: kind of silently laughing trying not to make too much noise um it's it's one of those things that you can picture very very easily his stoic look standing on top of the wall yeah um
1: <laughs> but yeah i just i don't know how it would have worked out and again that's a that's a butterfly effect Then he doesn't uh he doesn't get to assassinate. He doesn't get to beheaded. It doesn't start maybe the War of the Five Kings. It's different, but something else would have happened. There would have been other wars. Like you said, Renly or Stannis still would have uh, risen up. Oh, not to mention, Danny is over there in Essos. So at some yeah. point, Ned would have been challenged at the wall. Do I stay or do I go? What do I do? I, 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 I follow the rules. What's that? I
0: don't even think he would have made it there, to be honest. Like I think it would have been one of those things where Cersei and the Lannisters were like, sure, go to the wall, and then they just had someone kill him on the
1: way. That's true, Nice too. and quiet. That's yeah. true, too. Oh, those Lannisters. Uh, yeah. We are going to get uh, a great talk. And Ned Stark with you, because Ned is, is still one of the great characters for good reason. But we're going to go to our phone calls. Now, we had let me get this phone call up here. We had a great call last week. We're going to replay it from our friend Tamor. And I, and I already talked about it and already answered. But but uh, Thomas, you, you wrote me specifically. And you're like, I need to address this. It's got my head spinning. So we're going to play Tamor's call again and then uh, react to that
3: here. Hey, Ken and Cassidy Talk fans. This is Tamor from New York. Long time listener. First time caller. The last episode made me think about my fandom into Game of Thrones. I started watching a couple months before season 8 was released, and I could honestly say that I didn't have any problem with what Banyalf and Weiss did and how they ended it. I only wished I could have seen Queen Daenerys' reign for an episode after burning down King's Landing, but I understand what they had to do and have accepted it. I did have a slight issue with Bran becoming the king, but after a lot of thought and consideration, I realized they made the right choice as he gave the responsibilities of running the kingdom to Tyrion. My question to you all is, do you think those fans or groups of people that split from Game of Thrones can come to terms with the show by doing a rewatch as a casual viewer? I know the odds are slim to none, but I would like to know their reactions after distancing themselves from it. As always, it's a pleasure hearing from you, your co-host, Sir Thomas Nadal, and all the other callers
1: all right tamor checking in from the east coast there uh thomas uh, i said a lot about this last week but uh we, the, the the floor is yours my my friend <laughs> all right Tay, i love
0: the call man uh, as a direct response after a lot of thinking mm. uh, i absolutely think that a portion of game of thrones fans will revisit season eight and find themselves enjoying it far more than their first viewing but i actually think that um to an extent some of the hubbub came from the I would say the intermediate casual crowds, not the the totally casual crowd, but kind of in between the obsessed like us and the the kind of um, day-to-day viewers. One of the things that I keep thinking about is that the strong emotionally driven reactions to how the characters themselves dealt with the adversity in the seasons won't be so prevalent. You won't have the immediately after airing uh, Twitter blowups and things like that anymore. Opinions that are shared will start to become more discussed and less um kind of poo-pooed and put down um i I think there's also some psychology behind why fans have such strong reactions when a character that we all love does something that seems out of character or even slightly
1: against type oh absolutely that's one of the things i've been fascinated with uh just the people's connections uh, with these characters when the characters do something or something happens to them that doesn't uh Jive with what they feel. It, it's 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 a broken heart situation. So you get get mad at the show, get mad at the character instead of listen to the lessons there. I also like your point about yeah. If if you watch it now, if you rewatch season eight now, or you go through the whole process of rewatching the show and you get to season eight, yeah, you're not going to go online and find that tidal wave of 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 contentious comments or hate that you can get swept away in, and then you might have a moment to have an actual thought about the show.
0: Exactly. And, you know, as, as an example of kind of this psychology, we, you know, we as people often come to know new friends and acquaintances, their, their true character, that is, over extended periods of time. And during those periods of time, we typically establish a sort of norm that we can expect from that friend or acquaintance. And more often than not, as people being the fallible things that we are, we subconsciously hold that person to the emotional, mental and physical standards that we've just decided we set. Mm. And then subsequently we find ourselves negatively, negatively surprised or hurt or confused when that person acts outside of the norm that we've previously set for them. And I think that ties into those reactions, right? Because we're expecting this person to be this kind of warm blanket friend that comes from the show that we've, grown to know and when they do something that we don't expect we often question it saying they wouldn't do that that person wouldn't do that but how do we as the viewer on the couch actually know that
1: right right because the story's unfolding in front of them not us <laughs> <laughs> and you know we, we use those norms as like
0: baselines as as which uh, to which we compare characters behaviors and we also use those norms as ways of ignoring the darkness and negative traits in some of the characters that or or people that we meet and interact with. Like, you know, a large portion of viewers chose to cheer on or even condone Danny's evil tendencies, like Miriam's Dur and the crucifixion of the Masters and the burning of Dickon and Dickon and Randall. Take
1: your pick. Yeah. Right. yeah I do, I I I'll I'll take my pick. I'll take all of them because <laughs> going back to uh, you know talking about the uh, you're reading that uh in memoriam book i i have on my shelf and just going to the miriam masdur moment like yeah it's a great like you're f- pumping your fist and this witch is is screaming and she burns to death and yeah you know how dare you kill cal drogo but what was cal drogo and his people doing to her her what's happening here which side am i rooting for and i'm not saying danny's wrong uh, i i all along the way i can i can agree with everything from danny's point of view it's just i don't think anything she did in season eight was too different from what she had done before she had just broke and not at all you know i still think and I, I was ranting on another internet show today and i wish i didn't because I, I don't rant on internet's uh internet's kids um i still think that moment in the bells is one of the finest moments in the show the red keep was built by her family it's ruled by cersei and there's a kingdom between her and that castle that she believes is hers and that kingdom doesn't want her here after this long long journey and and everything about it just breaks danny in that moment and i think it's one of the key things in the show and it's in line with a lot of what was going on it's all the lessons she learned good or bad rolled into that moment
0: absolutely it's it's the culmination of everything we've seen and and danny fighting what her family is known for for mm. so many years and finally becoming you know her family really yep i mean it, it's it's not that hard to believe the old apple doesn't fall far from the tree thing isn't that hard to understand in this situation right?
1: uh, no especially as we all slowly morph into our parents no <laughs> it's definitely easy yeah,
2: exactly. to see
1: that can happen there um so i'm curious about that any final thoughts about uh, people re-watching and reappreciating or re-re-learning to or re uh i don't know what's the word i'm looking for L- getting some new insight into the season uh eight uh,
0: so the way i'm going at this season and I, you know i don't want to tell anyone how to watch but the way i'm going at this season is um remove the preconceived notions think think about what you know if you want to but don't hold it as as your example going through because, I mean, we already know how it ends. If you're expecting it to end differently on DVD, I'll, I'll spoil it for you right now. You're you're going to be disappointed. Mm. Uh, but, you know, just go at it with an, with an open heart and open mind like you did when you started. That's the thing with a lot of people I'm talking to right now. That open heart, open mind that you go into television shows and books with hoping to become attached to a character... A lot of people just did away with that after season seven and said, nope, there's, there's too much here. I can't mm. do suspension of disbelief anymore. It doesn't work for me. Mm. And I encourage you suspend your disbelief and go back and enjoy all eight seasons. Because if you can suspend that disbelief and your own personal emotional attachment to the characters, I think you'll enjoy it a lot more.
1: I think you will too. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. No one's here to wag fingers and watch it the way you want to watch, but Engaging with that story that's presented to you, the, the mantra that Joseph uh, Scrimshaw has uh, put into my head over on Four Center replies here. I, I think it's just one of the more powerful uh, bits of um, insight into how to, how to watch a lot of these shows. But you can also watch it however you want and come to your own conclusions. That's fine. Let's, uh, let's play a couple more calls here as we uh, close, uh, Thomas, here. We got this from our, our friend Kevin at Three Cocktail Questions, which sometimes means, man, I don't know where this is going. Kevin has some wonderful theories. Let's follow along.
2: Hey, Ken, it's uh, Kevin Ross. It's been a while since I last called in, but Eric's question got me thinking about what happens if uh, Ukraine survives the man's raider's attack on the wall. And I agree with both of you uh, with what's been presented, but let me add something else. Hard home. Remember, Hardhome hasn't happened yet, and Hardhome is important for a reason I don't hear a lot of pundits talking about, that it proves that both John and Sam write to the rest of the world about the White Walkers. John's an early believer of the White Walkers when he's attacked by jean at Mormont's office, and Sam's a believer when he's attacked uh, by the White Walker with Gillian Little Sam, but anybody else that has ever seen a White Walker or White to date in the show has died. Hardhome changed all that. Now, uh, all the crows or night watchmen that survived the Home attack now act as third-party verification to all the stories that John, Sam, and basically history have established as true. So let's ask this question. Bran, Bloodraven Stark, still wants to be king, but has to remove the Night King to make this happen. So how does Bran manipulate events to make this happen if John does drop the black and go lives in the king of the grave? And
1: it got cut off there, but all right, I think I got the idea there. Uh, it's a, it's a big, what if it's a big butterfly effect, Thomas, you follow along with that one there. What do you think about brands uh, plan to be I, I, king? Uh,
0: so my, my, my first thought is he's, he, he's right. I mean, there, there's a bit of a, a wrinkle there for George to figure out, I guess mm. the only difference being that George typically takes a more uh, lore based explanation for mm. big things. At least that's what I find in the books. Yeah. Um, Hard home was a wonderful set piece. Yeah, uh, but but wasn't much of a. Um, oh, this is gonna make me sound terrible. Uh, Hard home was wonderful, but was more of a set piece than it was a, a big plot development or or story moment for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, I could see Hard Home going the way of like Helms Deep, being right. a very short thing. In the book, that is just there to decide one specific thing, like you said, to to prove Sam and John, yeah. or to either completely turn it on its head and make them have no proof whatsoever, and then they have to go back to places like the Citadel, yada yada, to search for written to prove, yeah, um, support what they're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the yeah the verbal word doesn't necessarily uh, carry much uh, currency in in this world here. Yeah, I know what you mean but the uh, hard homes. One of my greatest, you know, favorite favorite episodes, one of the greatest moments in the show. But yeah, I I, I still. I still remember, um, some of the later conversations, uh, where I just wanted John to just anytime someone at the wall was challenging him just to him to stand up and go, um, um, hard home and sit back down. Yeah. (laughs) But it didn't have that kind of effect. Um, and again, it's totally different in the books. This is one of the things I think the show did really well. Um, but we'll see George's true intentions of it there. Um, yeah, I love Kevin's thoughts and theories. They're always uh, wonderful. They're always deep. And uh, yeah, we'll see, man. Do you have any thoughts? Quickly, Thomas, I'm throwing this one on you here. I'm sorry for this curveball. It's a uh, 3-2 count, and I'm coming at you with uh, with a curveball here to throw you off. Um, uh, George, the ending, Bran is king. We believe that's from George. Isaac Hemp said White has said it's from George. But I have I have a feeling he could mess around with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have the same feeling too, but so I feel like I, I could be one of the only people in like that. I loved Bran as King camp. Like for me, I, yeah, and I'm not trying to be uh you yeah, know, I'm not trying to stir up a fight or anything, but I, I love that. It, it worked so perfectly for me. What else could his journey culminate in that would make sense? Is he just going to become a tree and right. stay north of the wall? Forever? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, You know, I, it, it just, for that is the only story that makes sense for me and for that to come from George, Mm. i love it I, I i don't doubt that at all
1: personally it definitely definitely makes sense for me it definitely worked i think in the immediate moment i kind of went whoa 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 whoa!" he wins huh that used to be a joke now it's a thing but i i think when you stop and think about it and again engage with the story presented to you and get into that world uh and and the statements and the themes of what's uh present there in in the in the show and the story in the books wherever it's just like yeah he he is the king. He he would be the one. Uh, he, he has all the skin in the game and no skin in the game and no need for the power yet can can handle it the best. So uh, it tracked for me. And I just I still think it's more powerful emotionally and more powerful thematically and lore wise that Sansa again becomes the queen who rose uh, and, and takes the north back. I and mean, that's that's a very powerful thing for me.
0: Yeah, I I agree. That It's much more powerful that way. Her story comes to a complete end Mm -hmm. that way for me. You know, I don't need to like if we never got anything else, I'd be happy. I'd be happy with her story ending there. That makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, totally totally all right thanks kevin for that call sorry you got cut off there again if you're calling in you got 59 seconds to get it in right it's like a it's like a last minute sprint no but y'all can do it here final call of the day comes from our friend eric monroe i mean he's a regular caller might as well just call him a contributor at this point he's got some great insights into game of thrones great love for it here uh so thomas let's hear this call we are going to be uh talk looks like we are going to be talking about carl from gin alley hey can't talk so one death that i quite enjoyed that wasn't talked about on last week's show was the death of carl tanner who led the mutiny against Lord Commander Mormont. I absolutely loved it because, you know, it makes me sick when you watch him um, drinking from the the, the skull of Lord Commander Mormont. And I I agree with a comment you made last week. You know, seeing all that rape going on in the background was also very, very hard to watch. Seeing them all die, but especially Carl Tanner getting hit what he had coming to him. Um, He's actually a good swordsman. You know, he gives John a run for his money, and if not for a say from one of uh, Craster's daughters, Carl might have won, but seeing John driving that sword through his skull, through his throat, was very, very satisfying. So what do you think about the death of Carl Tanner? Oh, Thomas, this is a great call from my friend Eric, because, yeah, I both love and hate Carl Tanner as a character. Like, I, He's played so well. The, the actor's so good. He's in a lot of wonderful things. Um, and at the time of this, he was in this, that show Turn, about the Revolutionary War stuff going on. Um this is a great moment, and it's, it's also the mutineer's arc is a little, uh, was challenging for me at the time, just in the sense of, why are we doing this? But now I, now I like it, um, and I'm very happy to see Carl die. And there was a lesson in it for John. What do you think about Carl Tanner, Thomas? Uh,
0: I think Carl Tanner is one of the only totally black-and-white characters in the entire world of Song of Ice and Fire. Mm. Um, and that's why watching him die was so wonderful, because he's clearly evil. There is no world in which at least a human being i would like to associate myself with could view carl tanner as a sympathetic character and get behind even a portion of what he's trying to do he's evil he's doing evil things he's doing terrible things like like eric mentioned he's murdering he's raping seeing him slain by john that throat go right to the back of his head is is one of my favorite moments because it's just like watching joffrey diets you're watching someone that is purely evil go at least with joffrey you can say well maybe his mother raised him wrong Maybe his father wasn't there for him. What do you say for Carl? Because we don't really know that part of his story. For me, Carl Tanner is evil, and I love
1: the way he died. Love it, and I love the little lesson for John. It's a little bit to me. I mean, it's you know, been a while since I've seen the moments, so the details aren't super fresh. But I, I, this might be a weird connection, but it's it's, it's kind of to me like that. Han solo shooting um uh shooting his uh, his mentor in uh solo uh, shooting first um yep. of just learning to do it uh uh and 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 you know Han shooting first is a is a bigger thing in Star wars we know but John had that little bit of that moment I think there was a little bit of a, you're too nice you're too good and he's done mm-hmm. some things at this point but like doesn't have it doesn't have some of that um that killer instinct in him and 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 to know that John's, John knows, nope, I got to do this. I got to do this to survive, and I got to do this um, for more than just me. I, I really did like that moment, and it was wonderfully brutal.
0: I agree. And in my mind, the thing that that pushed, just, just in my own head headcanon, the thing that pushed John to make that choice is when you see Carl Tanner drinking out of Craster's skull. Oh, that, yeah. For me, that's the moment, you know, to defile the Lord, to not only murder the the Lord Commander, but to defile his body and deny him a proper burial and god knows what else um i think that was what set john off
1: that's in my head canon what i've always worked out oh absolutely and and i mean Jor mormont i love my mormonts all of them um he's such uh, james cosmo so such a great performer and just yeah yeah there's a lot of like you're right carl tanner i think a forgotten character when it comes to just purely black and white good and evil he's on the side of evil and yep, you're right. There was yeah. some things. There were some circumstances that put him in into uh, the, his path, not unlike other characters, not unlike even a Cersei Lannister, Daenerys Targaryen, all these characters. But he chose the dark side. <laughs> I think we grow to know Gior Mormont as such a like you know much like Ned. He's he's an
0: honorable man that is is you know went there to to to, to protect the realm as kind of the last the last wave of that right. Yeah. Like I, 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 that's why I see that drinking out of the skull is, is that that's that moment for me. That's the push for John.
1: Oh, great, great stuff. Great call, Eric. Great call, Kevin. more. thanks for the call again. Uh, we're replaying it. If you have a great what if or a conversation, want to join it, even want to answer something that we've uh, talked about in previous episodes, uh, go f- uh, find us on Anchor. You can listen to the podcast. Anywhere but go to anchor and reach out via the voice message app uh, link there uh, you've got like, like I said about fifty nine seconds to get your thoughts in there and we'd love to hear from all of you uh, we get a, a bunch of regular callers but don't be uh, don't be shy jump on in here uh, Thomas thank you so much for coming on in here today it means a lot you can bring great insights and you know I got to say one thing uh, with, with the world in uh, the situation it is it has created this uh um, even closer connection and kinship with people even farther away. And we're connected by technology and able to do this. And it sounds like I am in your Vancouver studio and you're in my Burbank studio. And, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on today.
0: And yeah, I appreciate you having me, Ken. It's, it's nice with everything going on to get on and talk about something I'm passionate about with somebody who's uh, who shares that passion is, is very much welcome. And I uh, thank you for it.
1: Absolutely. Where can they follow you, Thomas? You can find me on Twitter at Thomas
0: Ristling and uh, my own podcasts on a bit of hiatus right now, but I'm starting a thing with, uh, some, someone, some of you may know John Mariano and we will, uh Put some stuff out when we're ready to on that.
1: Johnny M out there in New York, one of my favorite people as well. We are connected here. Uh, if you want to follow my further ventures, you can follow me at Ken Napsock or go to kennapsock.com. Pick up my book, Why We Love Star Wars. It's still out there. The audiobook version going strong. And yeah, one of the, I, I've thought about writing some Game of Thrones stuff. I don't know if I'm as smart in Game of Thrones as I am Star Wars, but who knows? We'll figure that out along the way. But I appreciate everyone supporting Casterly Talk. We'll be back with a show next week. And, yeah, we might do some live shows on YouTube through StreamYard with people like Thomas, uh, Ace, uh, Lon, and Rachel. We'll be uh, just playing around. Well, we're all here. We, we, we are all captive audiences right now, so might as well do something. Thanks again, Thomas. Thank you, thank you to all of you for listening to Casterly Talk. We'll see you next week.